Support for Everything Explained comes from the College of St. Rose in Albany, offering master's and certificate programs for working adults looking to advance or change their careers. Easily accessible to downtown and state offices, the College of St. Rose has served the Capital District since 1920. strose.edu slash grad programs to apply. Welcome back to Everything Explained, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the basic fundamentals of what makes what we talk about in the media important. I'm Patrick Garrett, and this time, DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's a program set up during the Obama administration designed to protect the children of undocumented workers who cross the border into the United States. Today, a professor of law helps us to break down the ins and outs of the program. All right, today we have Sarah Rogerson, professor at Albany Law and director of the Immigration Law Clinic. Just to start off today, very simple, what is DACA? And I wish I had a simple answer for you. It actually has seven components to it. Um, I guess the simplest answer, and we can go through the elements later, is that it's special protection for kids who were brought here at a very young age. Uh, it, It provides them the ability to work. It doesn't provide them a pathway to citizenship. Uh, they can't vote. It has to be renewed every two years. And it's essentially, the best way to explain it is it's the government saying that they promise not to deport them. But it's not a, a form of immigrant status that would be permanent in the long term. So is there a cutoff age for DACA recipients? They're also known as dreamers, according to the the DACA law. You might hear us refer to them as dreamers from here on out. Yeah, and I really like that terminology. And I think it's really important to give a nod to the students and the young people who came out to make this happen. It wasn't automatic. It took a lot of work to get the Obama administration to um, to act in this way uh, because it was an executive action. It wasn't through Congress and Congress. Um, is the preferred route for immigration reform, but Congress wasn't being cooperative. So it was really a student movement that brought this out. And so, yeah, we have the term dreamers, uh, which is really effective from a policy perspective. Uh, The dreamers defined uh, are individuals who were under the age of 31 as of June 15, 2012. They have to have come to the United States before their 16th birthday. Then they have to have continuously resided in the United States since June 15th, 2007, and be physically present on June 15th, 2012. As I said, it doesn't grant them any lawful status from an immigration code perspective in terms of a pathway to citizenship, Um, but they need to be in school, have graduated from high school, or received their GED. And finally, and most importantly, and this is something you hear about on Twitter and in social media all the time, they have to have not committed a felony, a serious misdemeanor, or a misdemeanor that carries a penalty of three plus years. So it's really, or three, more than three minor misdemeanors, I'm sorry. So it's really important to note that because there was an element of criminality in the Attorney General's announcement ending DACA, the Dreamer program. And that's just not. Uh, it's, it's disingenuous to bring up criminality at all when talking about this program because in order to get the status, you have to have not committed a crime. 
So that's a really important element to stress because I don't think a lot of people know that. Now, as legal residents, they are entitled to many of our laws here, but are there any things that they can't do that a citizen would be able to do? Sure. So actually, technically under the law, they're not considered legal residents. That's kind of a, 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 a legal term. A lawful permanent residency is really another term for green card holders, and that's what would be considered legal residents. Um, they are legally present. How about that? Okay. I think we can say that. And there are lots of things that they can't do. They can't vote. Um, they can drive. A lot of the dreamers in New York State have driver's licenses. Uh, and there is a lot of chatter about how to um, shore up state IDs for all undocumented immigrants, not just dreamers, because that's obviously a really important part to um, being able to access your job, go to school, do a, um, get into the movies, silly things, little things to, to very important big things. Um, and that, that an ID is an important piece of that. Another ID that they get um, is an employment authorization document or an EAD. That's a work permit uh, in simple terms. And so they're able to work. The work permit is only as good as uh, for as only as good for as long as their DACA status is in effect. So that's timed together. So after the expiration of their status, they won't be able to work lawfully anymore. There are certain benefits that they are eligible for uh, in terms of state benefits, um, certain health benefits, but they're not eligible for uh, a lot of welfare programs. And that's another important myth to dispel. Um, they're not to the extent that they are putting into the social security system through their employment, they're entitled to those returns. It's still sort of unsettled whether at the end of the program, whether and how they would be entitled to the the, the investment that they made in, in our social security system. But for a lot of the social safety net type programs, they aren't eligible for very many of those. So it's and one important one is financial assistance for college. There's a lot of financial assistance that they're just completely ineligible for, uh, which is really remarkable since 20% of the DACA recipients are pursuing an advanced degree, which means they're yeah. probably working their way through college and through graduate school. Is there currently a legal way that these children, the dreamers, can become citizens in America? Unless they become eligible through another type of available um, form of immigration relief, like if they are working for an employer that wants to sponsor them to stay in the United States, and that employer could, could apply for them. Uh, that's an, it's the H-1B program that you probably mm -hmm. hear a lot about in the news. There's a cap. Uh, the employer has to sponsor. The employer pays the legal fees. It's, it's, it would be a significant investment by an employer in a dreamer. Um, there are a, f a few other types of ways. Um, some of the clients that we've worked with in the, in the immigration law clinic are also eligible for something called special immigrant juvenile status. Also for young people who arrived here, that has special elements. We have to have a state court say that they were under 21 when they entered the country um, and that their one or both of their parents abused, abandoned, or neglected them. So that's a, a very different uh, situation. 
And there, that creates a pathway to citizenship for those kids. Um, and then there are a couple of other places in the immigration code. It's kind of like the, it's very much like the tax code. There are so many different little nooks and crannies um, the, of pathways to citizenship, but it's very difficult to fit yourself into any one of them. So we have a lot of kids that just wouldn't qualify under many other forms of immigration relief. There just isn't a permanent lawful path for many people in America and many dreamers, uh, unless Congress creates one. So Congress could write legislation to make DACA a law? They have, yeah, many different versions of it. They just can't get it passed. Uh, But yes, definitely. Immigration is really a federal, it's it's one of those areas that the federal government, by by the laws of, of our country, really has... I wouldn't say ultimate authority over. Maybe ultimate is the best word, but they any sort of immigration law has to come through the federal government. There are immigration-related laws in our state governments. Um, there, it's really interesting how states have responded in, in immigration reform in ways that are within their state constitutional powers. Uh, but really, it's a federal issue. So Congress has to act, and the president can't just rewrite the immigration code. There, the executive powers are quite limited, as we've seen in all the litigation around the executive orders that have issued um, from not just this president, but previous presidents as well. So one of the things that comes up when talking about DACA is whether or not dreamers will be forced to leave the country. I know currently the way it's been structured is there's a six-month phase-out program that President Trump has been talking about. Is there a certain like day that would come. Yeah. So uh, essentially, and this is also extremely important to get the word out about this, um, the current DACA recipients, there are no new applications being received, but current DACA recipients whose status will expire before March 5th, 2018, can apply to renew But they have to do that application by October 5th of this year. So they have one month to file an application. And, of course, if their status, if their DACA status expires after March 5th, they just they can't file to renew it. So that gives realistically all DACA recipients, whether they renew in the next month or not, approximately two years. So the idea would be that between whenever everybody's status starts expiring after March 5th, 2018, all the way to October 6th, 2019, right? Or however however long they grant the period of status after that. Uh, But really 2019, we're talking about there could be massive efforts every day to round up thousands. It's thousands a day. As soon as they start expiring, they're expiring at the rate of, of thousands per day. So those people would then be eligible for deportation. It's very hard to deport that many people that quickly, um, not to mention just completely morally uh, problematic for the government. So there's a there are processes in place. Um, individuals have a right to be heard by an immigration judge in a lot of cases. The, this administration is trying to undo a lot of those protections. So in some cases, um, these individuals could be removed in, under a process called expedited removal, where they would be removed very quickly without even seeing a judge. And that's really kind of the worst case scenario. 
Um, I don't want to stoke a lot of fear about that. I really am feeling optimistic, cautiously optimistic about a solution because really when you're talking to politicians about having this many hardworking young people who have lived here their whole lives and don't know any other country um, at the rate of thousands per day, uh, you have a really big political problem on your hands. Just how many people are we talking about are recipients of DACA? So as of March 2017, there were 787,580 people enrolled. Uh, Applications were processed all the way up to September 4th. Um, there's, I'm just, it's still uncertain how those that were pending on September 4th will be, um, adjudicated in terms of, you know, you know, they were making decisions as these executive orders roll out, sort of like the travel ban. People were in the airplane, in the air, when the executive order came down, what happens when they land? So we have a similar situation, um, and the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services is, is rolling out frequently asked questions um, in order to help people understand where they stand. But in short, it's about 800,000 people. I mean, just as you said, with the uh, immigration ban that came down and it's constantly going back and forth between the courts, the Supreme Court, President Trump with his executive orders. Earlier this morning, Trump did tweet out, and I'm going to just read verbatim what he said. Does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? They have been in our country for many years through no fault of their own, brought in by parents at a young age. Do you think there is a change that could be nearing? He just met with Democrats who said that they might be nearing a deal to protect dreamers. Maybe. I feel like the... The term dreamer is so apt here because they have to keep dreaming. This has been something Mm. in the works for years and years and years. Um, And every time we get so, so close, something happens to to take it away. And and it's often a border security deal. And so a major percentage, uh, the top two departments in the federal government that, that receive funding in the budget include the Department of Homeland Security, which is in charge of border security. In fact, I heard a report recently that there are so many jobs being created at the border and so few people to fill them that they are currently being filled with people who haven't necessarily received appropriate training. So there's, I guess, there's um, an interesting atmosphere right now in terms of a deal because of the president's promise about a border wall. That type of a measure has been shown to be completely ineffective, right? And so there may be a way to salvage his campaign promise, as it were, and for his base to feel good about a deal on dreamers if they get what they want in terms of what they can say to their constituents about border security, whether or not we need additional border security. There hasn't really been much really in-depth analysis, I think, in terms of uh, this administration on what exists, what we need, uh, what would be most effective. We have drones on the border. We have night vision. We have heat-seeking cameras. We have state-of-the-art border security in place right now. So I think it would be a lot of 
uh, it's a, a political chess game that doesn't really match reality on the ground uh, in terms of, of what the dreamers are feeling and what's needed at the border. So I don't know um, if that chess match can find a way to work itself out uh, this in, in this effort, um, then that would be great. So I'm cautiously optimistic just because there is a lot of incentive on both sides in order to get to a deal. We've seen that before, but certainly no one's ever lit this sort of ticking time bomb with the, the people who, in good faith, gave all of their personal information to the government. That's sort of, that's a very aggressive move by this president, using people uh, as a time clock for political deal making. Some people will often comment and say that DACA is bad because it rewards the parents and the children of the parents who bring them here by doing something illegal. Is is that a real issue when it comes to DACA? I think it's a real issue whenever we talk about immigrants in this climate right now. And that's not new. Certainly the term illegal is new. That's a new parlance. It's not necessarily accurate. The The terminology is actually an alien present without having been admitted or paroled. But that doesn't roll off the tongue. That You can't make headlines off of that. So yeah. the, the term illegal has been used because it has a criminal connotation. What's really interesting to, to me is that immigration law is actually civil. Um, and there are very few criminal violations of immigration law that one can commit. Um, one is being ordered removed and then re-entering. That's a felony. That's an important distinction, civil and criminal law. Right. And But we punish it in a criminal way. People are detained for days on end. Uh, eight people, I believe, were just detained from Saratoga over the weekend. And they're sitting at the Albany County Jail right now. Our students are talking with them as we speak to try to see whether or not they have, they have some sort of lawful way to stay here. So there, the the push pull factors in terms of why people come here and what brings them here are complicated. So there are sociologists who dedicate their entire careers to this. But one quick, simple way to to sort of bring a new frame to it is to say we've just been talking for a while about what this means. I'm an immigration expert. I've been doing this for over ten years. Uh, it still takes a long time to explain what this is. What are the odds that someone in another country living uh, in either a, a very violent climate where there's a lot of gang warfare or a, a situation in a situation like those who have temporary protected status where they, they are emerging from a natural disaster? What are the odds that they hear something like deferred action for childhood arrival has been passed in the United States and think, oh, great. Let's pack up and move. That means that we can not be removed once we get there, right? It's not. So I have a hard time believing that that is uh, a really a, a pull factor for people. The, the American political policy around immigration or legislation at all. What really draws people to this country is what has always drawn people to this country. A stable democracy, a stable economy, and the American dream. And that's, from the very beginning of our immigration policy, what has brought people here. It's the criminal aspect, uh, which is really a mask for racism, to be quite honest, that has colored our immigration laws. Uh, we used to have the Chinese Exclusion Act. We had 
we've had lots and lots of bad policy born of a sense of fear and criminality for a very American um, civil type of movement of people, a very democratic action uh, to, to move to another, to a more stable country. So it's, it's complicated, but uh, definitely the rhetoric right now is not in, informing the public debate in a responsible manner. So New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman are planning to sue Trump over economic injury to the state uh, due to President Trump's wanting to repeal of DACA. That's right. So, um, and they've been joined by a number of other states across the country. But um, Attorney General Schneiderman and the state of New York were really um, leading one of the states leading that movement right away after the executive order was signed. I think it was the next day that they announced their plans to sue, and then the lawsuit was filed shortly thereafter. So um, the economic injury that they're claiming is laid out in a recent report, um, actually in part. I'm sure there's a lot of more New York State-specific statistics that the comptroller will be in charge of producing um, and does on a regular basis. Um, But the Cato Institute, actually, which is – I say that uh, with surprise because the Cato Institute is largely seen as a conservative think tank. Uh, But they recently issued a couple of reports that outlined the economic impact – of revoking the DACA program. Um, the average DACA recipient is earning $17 an hour. The average DACA recipient at this point in time is 22 years old. They're contributing to our economy. They're going to college. They're paying into our social welfare systems. They're taking care of their parents and elders and little brothers and sisters. That's a huge impact on the economy. The estimate is nation- nationally uh, that when you eliminate 700 to 800,000 people from the workplace within a year, basically, we're talking about. That's about $460 billion in lost gross domestic product over the next decade. That's a significant amount of money. And in New York State, where we have, uh, I think the recent numbers were uh, over 40,000 DACA recipients, to lose all of those individuals from the workforce in a very rapid period of time would be crushing to our economy. As you said before, many of our of the DACA recipients in New York State specifically have professional licenses. Are there any good examples of people who have made a difference? Well, so 20% of them are pursuing an advanced degree. And in some professions, it's, it's a question as to whether or not they'll ultimately be licensed. But in the legal profession, New York State was the first state to admit uh, essentially an undocumented immigrant to the practice of law. His name is Cesar really? Vargas. Yeah. And he's a DACA recipient. Uh, and there was the attorney general's office had to consider the question whether a state government could ish, could make exceptions in their licensing policy for undocumented immigrants. And without getting into the particulars, because I a colleague of mine wrote some sort of like 40 page brief on this. Like it's a very complicated issue. Um, but essentially, in New York State, at least, DACA recipients who make it all the way through high school, all the way through college, all the way through law school because of Caesar can apply to be admitted to the New York bar and can take the New York bar exam. 
Uh, and he's been a very outspoken advocate on behalf of DACA recipients and undocumented immigrants uh, and immigrants nationally uh, across the country. And we're very proud to claim him in New York State. Sarah Rogerson is a professor at Albany Law and director of the Immigration Law Clinic. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. This has been an episode of Everything Explained, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the basic fundamentals of what makes what we talk about in the news important. I'm your host and producer, Patrick Garrett. Just a friendly reminder that if you like what we do on this podcast, to subscribe, leave us a review, or just let us know any way you can by emailing the station or pledging at wamc.org to make your support for the podcast known. It really helps us to keep the podcast effort going. Stay tuned. We'll have more of our sustainable series soon. Hey, and uh, thanks for listening.